would like to go to that. With that, would you stand with me as we read God's Word together? Acts chapter 12, beginning in verse 6. And I know, again, you get tired of hearing this, but what a great passage. Oh, my goodness. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the beauty of that moment. I pray that you would help us through the eyes of faith go back to that night, that moment when the angel appeared. And we give you glory today. Open our hearts even now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, our study of uh, uh, the book of Acts is over. It ended last week. But this week, I came across a passage that is too good to pass up. So you're getting a bonus sermon today for no extra cost. How about that? And it may be my favorite passage in the book. I don't know how I missed it. So this morning's message is entitled, While You Were Sleeping. While You Were Sleeping. Now, no, you can't start sleeping in this service. But it's amazing uh, what happens while we are sleeping. 27 years ago, actress Sandra Bullock, when she was very young, was in a cute little movie with that title, While You Were Sleeping. And in it, one of the main characters was hit on the head and became unconscious at the beginning of the movie and was in a coma throughout almost the whole movie. And when he woke up, all kinds of things he finds out had happened while he was sleeping, hence the name. We spend a third of our life asleep, or some of us more, <laughs> some less. But it isn't wasted time. Interesting things happen while we sleep, both in our own life, in our own mind, and our own body, and interesting things happen in this world while we sleep. We may not be aware of it, but while we sleep at night, Half the world and way over half of the population is having daytime on the other side of the planet. While you were sleeping last night, just during the time that you were sleeping, 70,000 weddings took place. Now, 140,000 take place in a single 24-hour period, but if you slept half the night or half the day, 70,000 weddings took place around the world. 70,000? Over 100,000 babies were born while you slept last night, and 89,000 people passed away while you were sleeping. Did you get a good night's sleep last night? Are you sleepy right now? That's rhetorical. <laughs> and young people, by the way, I, I, some of you, I, I, if, I, if I could do a survey, and I'm not gonna do it, some of you slept two hours last night. I get it, you were up all night playing games. Some of you slept four hours. Some of you slept 12 or 14 hours. I don't know how you do it. In fact, we used to do that as well. But while you may not know this, once you hit 50, you're sleepy all the time. <laughs> Is that not right? Oh, 30. Once you hit 30, you're sleepy all the time. Can I get a testimony? Apparently I can. You start plotting the next time you're going to go to bed. I hope that's not what you're thinking of right now. <laughs> but you think about that a lot. Uh, sleeping. Uh, uh, did you get enough sleep last night? 
Sleep is a funny thing. We have to have it. God designed us to need it. And actually, being able to sleep is a gift from God. Did you know that? Some people are not very good at sleeping. Now, I'm a lot better at sleeping than my wife is. I've told you that before. Cherry sleeps four or five hours, and she is good to go. And I'm just getting warmed up. <laughs> In fact, last night, she worked with commute for a 14-hour shift. She went home this morning, slept for an hour, got up, and she's here today. Yeah. And her eyes are open as I speak for a while at least. But it is a gift from God. It is a gift from God. In Psalm chapter 127, verse 1, David says it this way, Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. And then listen to this, In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. Listen to this part. For he grants sleep to those he loves. Isn't that interesting? Now what he means in that passage is that God grants us uh, security. He grants us provision in a place to stay or a place to live in our life. And he grants us safety in our life. Unless God is watching over you, you're just wasting your time. In this country, we have the, by far the greatest military in this world. But unless God is watching over us, even our military and our technology is in vain. It's God that protects us. It's God that sustains us. It's God that provides for us. And even in the middle of that, all of our challenges in life, it is God who provides to the point that we can sleep at night. It is a gift from God. Because if you don't have security, if you don't have a place to live, a home, if you don't have food to eat, it's hard to rest, is it not? God gives rest. He is our provider. Peter had learned that very thing in our passage this morning. He, we find him sleeping, and I mean sleeping soundly, not because of the soldiers surrounding him, but in spite of it. He's in prison. In fact, to realize the significance of Peter's sleep, you need to understand what is happening in this passage. Throughout Acts, the apostles and Paul, as one of the apostles, seem to find themselves in a pattern. They'll go to a town or a city. They'll preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some of the town folk accept it, and some of them don't accept it. In fact, some of them become very angry. Most often, not always, but most often, it's the Jews who live there. The Jews then complain. They have them arrested. God uh, uh, provides for them, protects them, and uh, makes sure they are released. And then they go to the next town and start the cycle all over again. And for some of you, when we read this particular passage of Peter in jail, it may sound like a lot of other passages in the book of Acts because this happened over and over again. But there are some things unique to this very passage. So unless God intervenes in this passage, in, at this time, Peter is not subject to be beaten the next day or to be released the next day. There is a singular reason that Peter has been arrested, and that is for his execution that's coming up. Herod has him arrested 
only for the purpose of executing him to please the Jews. So we need to go back to a few verses prior to see this. If you look with me in Acts chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Acts 12, 1 says this. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. So how many soldiers? I'm not a math guy, but 16. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. And so the whole reason that Herod, here's what Herod did. He, he arrested James, had him executed, and he looked at the response of the Jewish leaders and they were happy. And Herod thought, well, you know, if I make the Jews happy, I'm going to be more popular. So I'm going to make them really happy. I'm going to execute Peter. And so that's the plan. Now, he's overruled by God. He doesn't know this yet, but that's what he wants to do. By the way, you can't help but notice James is executed. Do you remember James? James and John, the son of Zebedee, sons of thunder, followers of Jesus. James is actually the very first uh, disciple or apostle now to be executed for his faith. And he was beheaded, by the way, when it says he was killed with the sword. That means he was beheaded. It's interesting that James was the first to die because of a conversation that he and his brother and his mother had with Jesus back in Matthew 20. Do you remember that talk? It's an interesting conversation. Jesus actually talks to him about his own death. Look there with me, if you would, Matthew chapter 20, verse 20. And this is a side note, but it, it's important to the, to the story, and, it, and it's important that you know this. Matthew chapter 20, verse 20 says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want? He asked. She said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Now, first of all, I have to say, on the one hand, what a good mom. She's just providing for her sons. She wants the best for them. I could hear my mom asking the same kind of question. And the second thought is, what gall? <laughs> she goes to Jesus and says, here's my boys, just one favor. These other 10 disciples, they're nice guys. Their moms weren't quick enough. I, I, <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead and ask what they're all thinking. Would you put one of my sons on your right and one of your left in the kingdom? And so that's an audacious thing to ask, is it? And she doesn't even know what she's asking. And frankly, I think the boys are in on it because the boys are asked, they don't know what they're asking either. In fact, verse 22, the next verse, here's this reply. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant, which is an amazing statement in and of itself, the theological implications you could go on for a long time. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. Did you know that God has not only prepared ahead of time everything that happens in this universe, in this solar system, on this planet, 
in your life and in this very room. But God the Father has also prepared ahead of time everything that's going to happen for eternity in heaven from here on. It's remarkable. You and I, our little heads can't wrap around that. God has already planned ahead of time exactly who's going to be sitting by Jesus. And Jesus says this to his mother and to James and John. Sorry, those plans are already set in stone. You're a couple of hundred trillion years late to make that decision. God's already made that decision. It's not, not a request for you to make. But he does say, he does ask this question to them. Can you drink from the cup I'm going to drink? And they go, what? Oh, yeah, yeah, we like drinking. But what is Jesus saying? You're going to die. I'm going to pour out my blood. That's the cup that he's talking about. And you're going to die in my name also. So back to our passage for today. James has now given his life. And I can't help but to think as he goes out and he sees that sword being raised up and his neck lowered on the stone, that the last thoughts in his life on, in this world are of that conversation that he had with Jesus. Now, I wasn't there, but I can tell you that James went out in a blaze of glory. He went out with a smile on his face because he knew he was about to see his Savior. Now, in our passage for today, it's the night before Peter's trial. And by the way, the night before his trial would be the night before his execution. Because they didn't give you 14 years of appeals and all of that kind of thing. You were, if you were pronounced guilty, they then took it right out and executed you, which is exactly what happened with Jesus. And it's going to happen with Peter. But let's look at the whole passage. Acts chapter 12, verse 6. Acts chapter 12, verse 6 says, The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off of Peter's wrists. The angel said to him, Put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. The angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. <laughs> so he thought, well, this is an interesting vision. I'll just go along with it. He didn't realize it was actually happening. So here's what happened. Peter is in jail. He is surrounded by 16 guards. In fact, there are guards on each side of him. He didn't care. It didn't bother him. Peter is sleeping so soundly that when the angel appears, he has no idea. Now, I don't know how bright angels are, but in other passages, like at the re resurrection of Jesus, when the ladies went to the tomb, it said the men were as bright as lightning. And in that prison, there are no light bulbs, there's no LED lighting, there's no indirect lighting, and he's not sleeping on a certain mattress, by the way. He's on a stone car, uh, cold stone floor. That's why I call it stone cold. <laughs> and he's sleeping on that, and then these guys are around him who hate him, and they're ready to execute him at any moment, give them an excuse because they don't wanna be there because it's just cr as crummy for them as it is for Peter. 
You don't care. And so he's sleeping soundly, and the angel appears bright as lightning, it says, and a light shone suddenly in the, so it's pitch dark in there. You can't see anything. And then suddenly an angel is there, it's bright as the sun, and that doesn't even stir him at all. He doesn't wake up at all. He's just snoring away. And so the angel actually has to punch him in the side. It says he's struck him. Now, I don't know what's in the hand of the angel. I don't know if he's carrying a sword and he struck him with a sword. Hey, hey, I don't think he stabbed him, but uh, whether he has a staff or he just doubled up his fist and gave him a good one in the side. But he struck him just to get him to wake up. I wonder if Peter is not in heaven today. Standing there by Gabriel or whoever the angel was and says, hey, you remember that time when you punched me in the gut? <laughs> and, the, and the angel no doubt will turn to him and say, yeah, you're a sound sleeper. <laughs> Usually my showing up bright as lightning is enough, but it wasn't enough for you. And there's a reason for that. I'll get to that in just a minute. I had to work my way through college. Uh, Boo-hoo. And um, I had to work my way through graduate school, so it took me longer than normal. That's my excuse. It took me five years to get through college, another five to get through graduate school, so 10 years of school, which meant 10 years of final exams. I, I liked parts of school, but I hated final exams. Well, I didn't really like any exams, but final exams you, you, have, you develop a particular hatred for because you know it's all or nothing. You gotta, they range the class in a way that you can blow it all on the final exam. Because if you can't blow it all on the final exam, if you can't flunk the class, if you mess up on the final exam, then nobody would go to final exams. So they designed it so the pressure is on. You got to study and study and study and on the, the night before, and there may be, maybe you're one of those weird people that you study so far ahead of time that you slept eight hours before your final exam and went in and aced it. I don't know those kinds of people. I'm not one of those kinds of people. Me and all my friends, we always stayed up all night before the final exam studying. It was an exhausting spectacle that we went through and that we put ourselves through to get ready for the final exam. I think that's just a given in college and in graduate school. So I did that for 10 years. Yuck, I hated those exams. But there was one good thing about those finals. The 10 minutes after it was over, <laughs> no matter how you studied, no matter how well badly you did on the, on the exam, 10 minutes after it was over, all of us did the same thing. It was straight back to the dorm and straight into our bed to collapse in exhaustion. And we would sleep if we didn't have to go to work for eight, 10, 12, 14 hours. And it was a wonderful kind of rest because it was over. Now, I'll tell you this, even though I would sleep a long time after the final exam, no matter how badly I might've done, it's going to bed when you know you made an A, when you know you were ready for that exam, you knew the answers to the questions. You may not have aced it, but you know you did well and you passed the class. And then you go back and you lay down and that's such a deep, wonderful sleep. You know, there are times in your life that are like that, where you've done well, it's over, it's complete, and you can just go to sleep. Now, Peter's in this prison He's on a cold floor. He doesn't care. He's got guards around him who don't like him. He doesn't care. 
He's going to be executed the next day. You don't care. He doesn't have a care in the world. He's not laying there worrying and anxiety. Oh my goodness, what if he beheads me? Oh my goodness, what if this goes bad? What, oh my goodness, what if they capture more of the apostles and they kill us all? He didn't care. He is not concerned about that because he knows he's in God's hands. He has fought the fight. He has kept the faith. He, he has, if God wants him to die in that day, just like James had, he has finished the race. And he knows there is a crown of glory waiting for him. He knows what's coming. He's going to get to see his Savior again. He's going to get to spend eternity in heaven. He's ready to go. He's just sleeping like a baby. So much so that the angel has to punch him to wake him up. And, and you can imagine the first thought that, that I don't know what he was thinking, but I know what I would think if I woke up in the middle of the night and there's an angel there. Okay, well, I guess I died. <laughs> that would be his first thought. But then he sees the chains and the chains, the Bible says, just fall off his wrists. Chains are not much of a challenge to God. <laughs> and so off they went, and the angel starts giving him instructions. Get up, he says. Put your clothes on. Didn't have his clothes on. I want you to put your clothes on. Then I want you to put your cloak on. He didn't want a naked Peter walking down the street. He said, get your traveling clothes on. Let's go. And so put his clothes on so that he'll live. Now, when I went to sleep after an exam, particularly if it was one of those times where I did well, I call that my victory nap <laughs> because I don't have a care in the world. The semester is over. It's going to start all over again in a few weeks, but for that time, job well done. I could just take that victory nap. Peter is having a victory nap. He knows he's done what God called him to do. He knows he's preached faithfully and now he may be giving his life for it. And ultimately he did give his life for it. So that nap was special because it was a victory nap. I can imagine the, uh, the guards were thinking, how can he sleep in this cold place? I doubt the guards slept very well, but so deep, so peaceful, and so sound. That's what Peter was doing, and it was okay. Let me ask you, this is rhetorical. How well did you sleep last night? How well did you sleep? Did you lay awake worrying about problems, finances, relationships, troubles, family members, kids, parents, your work, your school? How well did you sleep last night? Did you sleep last night? Did you sleep so well somebody would have to come and jab you? Now, yes, okay. <laughs> You may be, I'm not talking about drug-induced sleep. So maybe you had Tylenol PM in your system and it knocked you out. That, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about deep, peaceful slumber. Peter was able to do that because God had put peace in his life. In fact, um, years later, and it would be years, but years later, Peter would write something that I think brought this memory back to his heart. If you look with me in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. 1 Peter chapter 4, again, this is years later. Wise old Peter is writing this before he gave his life. 
He would eventually likely be, be beheaded. But he writes this, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief. And by the way, in that prison, he was probably surrounded by murderers and thieves. He says, you should not, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. There is a famous prayer that we teach our children that we all know. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray uh, my soul the Lord to take. But there are actually other verses to that little song, did you know? To that little poem. And you may not have ever heard them. They go like this. Now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep, his love to guard me through the night and wake me in the morning's light. Now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep, angels watch me through the night and wake me with the morning light. Now I wake to see the light as God has kept me through the night, and now I lift my voice to pray that thou will keep me through the day. There was an angel watching, Peter. I wonder, an all-seeing God, an ever-present God, watches you while you sleep. He knows your fears. He knows your anxiety. He knows your struggles. He knows what's keeping you from that restful bliss he wants you to have. What's keeping you from sleeping? God knows. Give it to him tonight, today, right now, so that you can sleep like Peter did. Pray with me. Father, we recognize that while we are sleeping, you are not. We recognize your hand in this world in its sovereignty and its power and that you're on your throne 24-7, always have been, always will be. We recognize that while you're in control, we are not. And sometimes our lack of control and our lack of faith mixed together causes us to struggle to sleep. There's so many anxieties that we have, so many worries and so many problems and so many challenges and we think about all the things that we should have done differently or the things that we didn't do that we need to do tomorrow that, that we put off for so long and all of these things just pile up in our heart and we can't sleep. Father, I pray that we would trust you for the things that we can't do, we can't control. That whatever problems that we have, we give them to you. We just surrender to them here, now, and today. As we say, Father, help me to sleep. Help me to have peaceful sleep like Peter did. Grant me peace.
Thank you for that mercy. As you're praying, no one's looking around. How did you sleep last night? God wants to give you peace. Whether you're the youngest here or the oldest, listen to me. Whether you have anxiety because of relationships or uncertainties and you don't know who you are and you don't know what the future holds and you don't understand all these pressures on you or you're here and you understand all of that but you're hurting physically so bad right now. Your back, your legs, your, your body is hurting you. God loves you. Whatever the problem is, would you give it to God right now? Listen to me, give it to him. Cast your cares on him because God cares for you. Release it to him. God wants to give you rest. No one's looking around, would you stand? And as you stand and as you pray, that's my challenge. You might want to just come down and get on your knees. We had multiple people in the first service. Just come down and get on your knees and say, God, I give it to you. Help me to rest. Give me peace. Or maybe you want to pray for somebody that's close to you. It's not you, it's somebody else that you know is struggling right now and they can't rest. And you want to come up and get on your knees and say, God, would you grant this person rest? Grant my loved one peace. Would you be willing to do that? Right now, as we pray, this invitation is for you. Maybe God has called you to join with First Baptist Church and you want to make this your church home. Or maybe you want to give your heart to Christ and become a candidate for baptism. Or you just want to come and pray. If God is leading right now, as we pray, you come.